right? And so the full gospel has both sides of it. Um, turn to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Because ever since the Reformation, this has become kind of the foundation stone of the church. And, I mean, we all know the scripture. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one shall boast. So we know all this scripture. And, and the thing about the Reformation that we always tend to forget is why did the Reformation happen? The Reformation, if you look back at the times during the Reformation, they were in the Dark Ages. They were living in a time when the Catholic Church had become everything. And it was oppressive, and it was, it was um, they lorded it over the people. You couldn't hold, you couldn't have your own Bible. You couldn't, you couldn't decide what God was speaking to you. You had to go to the priest and have the priest tell you what God was speaking for you. And if you went against the Catholic Church, they, they would torture you. They could put you to death. They could burn you on a stake. And so out of this oppressive rule, this oppressive religion is where the Reformation came. And when, they, when, when, when Martin Luther and people like him began talking about grace by faith, they were speaking to a people who needed to be set free from bondage. A people that were bound by religion, bound by oppressive religion, telling them what to think, how to think, when to think, it, and everything. It controlled every part of their lives. And so when Martin Luther and the, ref, the reformists started speaking of a grace that would liberate them, it set them free. But that, the thing is, is it was needed for a time such as that. And again, there are people that need that, but at the same time, that's not the whole of the gospel. Turn to uh, James chapter 2. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at two sides of the same coin. So we saw that grace is by faith, and it's not by works. And we believe that, right? There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. It is God that saves us. It is Him that initiates us. God, by His Spirit, comes to us, and He begins to whisper to our hearts, right? He begins to draw us. So it's not anything that we initiate. It's not anything we do. Again, I've said it before. I think that there is no one that comes to the Lord that someone is not praying for them. And that's just my personal belief. But I know that I, after I came to the Lord, I found out that people were praying for me, right? And how many people have gotten saved in, in response to people's prayers? So in James 2, verse 14, he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. So now we saw that we're saved by faith, but that doesn't mean that works aren't involved. If we're truly saved, if the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of a, of a human being, it's going to change you, right? If the Holy Spirit's living within us, as the Bible says in, in uh, Romans 8, if that spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, it's going to give life to your mortal body. So 
we're not saved by our works, but if we are saved, we, have, we will have works. Right? You can't deny it. If you are truly, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, it's going to change you. That is the thing about salvation. Um, and I think all of us have seen examples. We've, we've known people who have prayed the sinner's prayer, and they, and they even go to church, maybe do some good things, but they're not fundamentally changed. If they're not fundamentally changed, the question is, had they truly been saved? Because the Bible says, if you are saved, you will have works. Um, verse 17, even so faith, if it has no works, it's dead. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you say you have faith, but you have no works, that faith is dead. In other words, it doesn't exist. 18, but if someone may as well say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, the demons also believe and shudder, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Look at this in verse 21. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. So it's something that goes hand in hand. And what's interesting about that story is that story right there is when uh, we all know the story about how God told Abraham to sacrifice his son on the altar. And as he was about to do it, God stopped him. And he said that at that point, God reckoned that to him as righteousness. So that, on the fact that he was willing to do the works, he was willing to walk in obedience to what God called him, God, and he was doing it by faith, God said, this is righteousness. Sorry, oh, I dropped my glasses. Verse 23, so, and, and the scripture was fulfilled which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Look at this, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So again, these are the two sides of the same coin. And this is what Christianity is. Christianity is by faith. You cannot be saved any other way by believing in Jesus and believing that he has everything that's able to deliver you from your sins, save you from your sins, and set you free from your sins. We cannot save ourselves. There is no good work that we can do that will save us from sin, that will save us from hell, that will save us from, um, from what we deserve, right? But it's only by believing him. But in that believing of him, there will be works. There will be a changed life. And that's the crux of the thing. Again, um, we, a lot of evangelists, and a lot of evangelists that I know, they, they just major on this, Jesus loves you. And they just te tell people, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And over and over, this whole Jesus loves you. He's got this wonderful plan for your life. Well, he does. But at the same time, he wants you to follow him every day. He laid down, when Jesus died on the cross for us, he gave everything for us. Not only that, but the Bible says that he lives to make intercession for us now. And so he didn't just die for us on the cross and then stop at that, but he's still making intercession for us. He is still aiding us. He is still helping us in this walk and stuff. And so Jesus gave us everything. And so in return, we're going to have to give him everything, right? 
It's not like this. I'm just going to say this sinner's prayer. I'm going to have my ticket stamped. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to church on Christmas, maybe Easter if I get, you know, really motivated and things. But I'm not going to let it affect my life. That is not Christianity. And that is not salvation. And that's what happens is a lot of our churches are filled. And again, all these, all these, especially these mega churches, this is the gospel that they teach. Just come to Jesus. He's going to bless you. He's going to give you all the things you want. He's going to take away your sickness. He's going to give you this nice house. He's going to give you a beautiful wife, a beautiful car, all the things that you've been longing for. And Jesus is not necessarily going to do that. Because the thing is, is he is interested in our ultimate happiness, in our ultimate fulfillment. But we may not be happy and fulfilled in the here and now. Right? Think about the people in Syria, the people in northern Africa right now. And I've been looking at things on, the, on Facebook and, and on the news that are saying that there is more persecution happening to Christians right now than in any other time except back in the, the first and second, the first few centuries. And so there are people right now who aren't necessarily leading fulfilling, happy lives. But they're, be, but they're blessed, and Jesus is walking with them through the flames, and for them, it's worth it. But the thing is, is and again, the thing that scares me is, to, is when we preach the gospel, when we share Jesus with people, we have to share the whole Jesus with them, okay? Jesus, Jesus does want to give you peace. He does want to bless you. He does want to figure, and, and that's the thing. <clears throat> Most of us come to Jesus because we've screwed up our lives. We've... Uh, We've, we, most of us come to the bottom of our rope before we find Christ, and that's where we find Him. But, but that's not where we stay, right? It's this whole thing about, well, Jesus loves you just as you are. Well, He does love you just as you are. Now He wants you to change. And not only that, but He gives you the power to change. And so how can we call it a gospel when we're saying that Jesus loves you just as you are? You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. You can just be you. You can just do you. No, the power of the gospel is that Jesus came to live inside of you to make you different. Not just to make you different, actually, but to make you born again. Because we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are dead in our bondages, bondages to sin. We are dead to the things of God. We want nothing to do with the things of God. We just want to live for me, right? That's what animals do. Animals, the nature of an animal is to live to satisfy its cravings, its desires. God has called you and I to a higher purpose. And before we get saved, we are in that animalistic state where we just want to live like animals and go do what animals do. And when we get saved and when the Holy Spirit comes and lives within our heart, it makes us start looking at other people and saying, now I want to live my life for them. I want to lay my life down and, and I want to give my life away. And, you know, and there's this, you know, a lot of us think that, like, well, God poured out all of his wrath at the cross. God, God took it all out on Jesus, and that's it. Now he's not this angry God of the Old Testament. Now he's this different God. And I wanted to look at some scriptures on that. Turn to Romans chapter 1. And uh, in Psalm 7, verse 11, it says, God is angry with the wicked every day. And the thing is, is, is a lot of us, are, we're like, oh, these poor, poor sinners. And, and I get that, right? You look at the world, you look at the things that people go through, and basically we all have dysfunctional lives, right? Most of us, a lot of us come from broken families. A lot of us come from abuse. A lot of us have childhoods that were just terrible. 
and stuff. And so there is an element of like, you know, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And there is that element where, where we are compassionate and we see, we see the brokenness of human beings and we see the lostness of people. But at the same time, people choose those ways. In uh, Romans 1 verse 18. Because, again, and, and that's the way we do it too. A lot of times is we say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament was this wrathful God. But the God of this new, uh, the New Testament is just all about love, and he's all about mercy. And there's no more of this wrath, there's no more of this anger and stuff. And in Romans 1 verse 18, look what it says. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. It says, Because, um, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. You see that? And so again, we're just, we're looking, uh, we're going to look at some verses. Turn to James 5, verse 1. And this is all in the New Testament. This is all after Jesus had accomplished the cross, after he had ascended to be with the Father at the right hand. James 5, verse 1. Again, this is the Apostle James. In, the New Testament is written to who? It's written to believers, right? Look at this in that context in James 5. James 5, verse 1, he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and your rust, their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days that you have stored up your treasures. Behold, the pay of the laborers who have mowed your fields and which have been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure and you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So over and over in the New Testament, there are condemnations against sin and people who walk in sin. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And again, I think this, a lot of... It, the, a lot of the push in the world with the new age and the, the Hinduism and the, and the things of just love and love each other and all that is, and it started with the Beatles and the Maharishi and all that in the 60s and things, and it's seeping into the church, and God is becoming this God of love, and he's being painted as this God of love. That's only one facet of who he is. You know, the Bible says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every matter is established. Every time when the Bible repeats itself on anything, that means God is serious about it, right? It's like when you text somebody and you use all caps, right? You know, you never see the Bible say, God is love, love, love. But if you look in Isaiah 6 and you look in the book of Revelations, it says he's holy, holy, holy. And really, we don't have a true understanding of God until we have an understanding of his holiness, it's not his love that breaks us. The Bible says he who is forgiven much loves much, right? 
And it's when we see in the view and the light of, man, I am a sinner deserving of hell, and God gave his son for me to set me free and to deliver me and to forgive me of my sins. That's where we find forgiveness. That's where we find transformation, right? It's in that act that God had to pour out his punishment on sin, and yet he forgave me. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul is speaking to the Ephesians. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us in an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Verse 3, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Look at this in verse 5. For this you know with certainty. Now again, Paul is speaking to believers. He says, This you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of, obedience, of disobedience. So, in, turn to one more place in Revelation chapter 8. So again, this is not the Old Testament that we're looking at. This is the New Testament. And the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, all three members of the Trinity had the same uh, worldview, right? And so... And they, they think alike. They think in harmony. They are in a true unity, unlike any unity that we have ever known or experienced. So even though they may have different functions, they think exactly the same. They act the, the same. And they are, in essence, the same, right? So Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God the Father also is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So all this talk about, well, God was a God of wrath in the Old Testament, but now in the New Testament, he's a God of mercy. You, if you read the Old Testament, you see mercy all through the Old Testament. You see so many times where God had mercy when he shouldn't have. When time after time after time, the people in the Old Testament would harden their hearts against him, he would still have mercy on them. So all this talk about God was a God of wrath in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he's a God of mercy. That's baloney. And it's not there. And also in the New Testament, you see the same thing. You see God bringing judgment, God bringing wrath against sin. And he's still the same loving God. It is his desire that no one should perish, right? But that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. That is his heart. That is the reason why he sent his son. He sent his son that, so that not one single person should go to hell. Not one single person should perish. But it's because people refuse that, right? And, you know, and that's the thing too. When's the last time you've ever heard a message on hell? And I mean, you know, that's not something that we enjoy preaching. That's not something that, that is a pleasant word. But is it true or is it not? Does it exist or does it not? I know when I was a kid, we used to hear them quite a bit. But now you never hear that because once again, our churches are these places that just want to that, that, that pamper you, right? 
Our churches are so, we are so concerned about making people happy. We are so concerned like making people, making sure everybody's needs are met, making sure that you're blessed, making sure that no one's having problems, making sure that everybody's blessed. And the thing is, is, is we are so far removed from the first century church. The first century church was about every single people doing what they were supposed to do. Now the church has become the pastor and the pastoral staff keeping the church members happy. So basically, what it used to be is what it used to be every single person doing their job, doing their part, being a part of this army, being a part of this group, everybody headed in the same direction, all for the unity of the church, all for the common goal of seeing the kingdom of Christ come on the earth. Now it's about the small minority of the pastoral staff making sure everybody's happy. And that's not the way it's meant to be. The way that it was designed to be was that we all grow up to, uh, to maturity, right? And that we all step into the giftings and the callings that God has called us to, to a mature man, as the Bible says. And in Revelations chapter 8, verse 1. Now in Revelations 8, um, if, you, if you look at Revelation 7, everything that happens in Revelation chapter 8 happens is a direct answer to prayer from the believers who were being persecuted at that time. Is outside? I think so. I hope so. And uh, in verse 1, it says, When the Lamb broke, and again, this is an answer to the saints of the prayer, or to the prayers of the saints. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding the golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. Now that has nothing to do with the, the message, but I think that's awesome. Here the prayers of the saints are rising as incense to God, and, and, and their prayers are creating incense, and God has the angel come and add more incense to it. Do y'all get that? In other words, it, it wasn't just the prayers of the saints. God added to their prayers. Again, it's like Jesus makes intercession for the, for the, for the saints, right? And so he's adding to the prayers of the saints. And again, sometimes we, we get this feeling, man, I'm going through this all by myself. I feel like I'm all alone. And I feel like when I pray, my prayers don't even go past the ceiling. And if we truly understood that God is, he, when, he, when we're praying, when we're seeking Him, when our hearts are pure and open for Him, He is there adding, adding smoke to our prayers. Right? It says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, look at this, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood and a third of the waters became Wormwood and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. 
The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked, and I heard an angel flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So again, um, Jesus came, when Jesus came and walked the earth, he was meek, he was mild, but even still, Jesus would tell you the truth, right? And that's the thing, that's what the, we, I believe that's what the world needs today. We need a gospel that's true. A gospel that doesn't try to paint this Jesus that doesn't exist. We need to be full of love. And I, I don't, I mean, I totally am against going out and trying to beat people with the gospel or try to beat people into submission with it because it's not going to work in the first place. And that's not what God has called us to. And I do believe that we are just to love our neighbors and we are to love our people to Christ and things like that. But I think that when you sit down and you're talking to somebody and they are open to you and you have an open door and they are asking you, what do I need to get saved? What they need is not just to just to pray to Jesus and he's going to bless you. You need to know there's some things in your life that you need to lay down, Right? There are some things that you are practicing that you need to repent of. Because what is the problem? See, we, we in our modern evangelical Christianity, we think that the pro people's problem is, well, these people are hopeless. Or these people are, are poor. They're, they're poverty. Or these people are, are broken. And they are. But you know what? All those are symptoms of the disease. Those are not the disease. The disease is sin. Right? And the thing is, is our world is full of hurt. Our world is full of brokenness. Our world is full of loneliness. Our world is full of people who have broken lives that are, an exact, that are a direct result of sin. And the, pro the deal is, is Jesus, the way that God designed the church was that we would fill the world with righteousness. And where it, whenever, and that's the thing with the gospel, wherever the gospel goes, whenever the gospel comes into the hearts of men and it changes their hearts, they start beating their wives, right? They stop doing drugs. They stop watching porn. They stop doing all these things. And then the brokenness starts getting healed. And so the, the thing is with the church is if we as the church were living as the gospel has called us to, as Jesus has called us to, Think of all the millions of people in the world who call themselves believers. If we were living the gospel, if we were truly walking it out, it would bring healing to the nations. Mm -hmm. And that is the design of it. That's the way God set it up. God set it up to where if I'm truly loving my neighbor, I'm not going to sleep with his wife. Mm -hmm. If I'm truly loving my neighbor, I'm not going to go into his garage and steal his tools. Mm -hmm. Right? If I truly love my neighbor, I'm not going to cheat him out of money. See, it's sin is the problem. And the Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, it's our sins that have separated us from God. And so when Jesus came to the earth to save us, he didn't come to save us from, from our bad marriages. He didn't come to save us from our bad parents. He didn't come to save us from my bad temper or my lust problem. I mean, he did, but it's sin. In the, you know what I'm saying? The thing and the issue and the crux of sin is selfishness. 
I'm living for myself. I'm Again, it's the animalistic thing. I want to do whatever pleases me. I want to do whatever gratifies my flesh. Whatever makes me happy right now, that's what I want to do. That is the nature of sin. That is the thing that Jesus comes to set us free from. And so when we, and again, when we're on the... This is not a formula, right? I'm not trying to say this is what you got to say to people and stuff like that. But I'm just saying this is the other half of the gospel. And when we're giving people the gospel, sometimes they need to hear it. You know, the way you treat your wife is not right. Why is that? What, what is the deal? The deal is sin, right? The way that, you know, the things that drive us to do the things we do, the, the root of it is sin. And God wants to deal with that. Um, and the problem is, is that there's a lot of people that don't want to change. There's a lot of people that want to continue to walk in their sins, to continue living in their ways. Turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 16. We were at a rock concert one time, and we were, like, sharing the gospel with people, and there was a guy dealing drugs and stuff, and, and we're like, you know, when we started talking Jesus to him, he's like, all I know is the Bible says, for God so loved the world, that, and he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not be perish, but have eternal life. And he's dealing drugs, you know, and that's the thing, is we got... So many people, and Jesus said, you know, on the last day, many are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's, he's not even talking about the drug dealers or, or the prostitutes. He's, he's talking about people who are going to say, didn't we do these good things in your name? Didn't we heal the sick and cast out demons and do all these miracles in your name? And these people, Jesus is going to say, I never even knew you. Much less the people that have no hearts for him, that have no desire for him, that cast their words behind his back, that mock everything of God, that mock the things of God, that mock um, everything that God is trying to do in the earth, and they think that they're going to be saved because they quote a scripture. And a part of it, again, too, is because that's the scripture that we teach people, but we don't teach what the rest of John 3 says. In John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. That sounds great, right? Sign me up. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That also is awesome. And that's why we're here now is because God had mercy on us. But in verse 18, it says, He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, again, we talk to people all the, same, all the time that say, Well, I believe in Jesus. If you had a doctor that told you, Look, if you stop doing what you're doing, you will live. If you, if you continue to do what you're doing, you're going to die. If you believe in that doctor, if you believe in what he's saying, you will stop doing what you're doing, and you'll live, right? If you want to live. Yeah. If you, well, <laughs> that's true. No, it's true, though. It is. You have to want to live. You have to want to be saved. But that's the thing. You can't say, I believe in something, in somebody, or an ideal, or, or, or a thought, or whatever. You can't say you believe in something if it doesn't change your life. 
If I believed that someone was going to come to my house and give me a million dollars tomorrow, I wouldn't go to work. <laughs> right? But I'm going to work tomorrow because I don't believe that someone's going to come up to my house and give me a million dollars. And that's the thing. Belief is not just this thing that's in your head. Well, I just believe it. If you believe in something, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe who he says that he is, if you believe that he's able to do the things he is, it will transform your life. Again, it cannot. The gospel cannot leave you like you were before. And I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect because we all still deal with things. And, and basically what happens is when you accept Jesus, it comes into your heart to a degree, but we're still immature and we begin to walk that out. But there has to be something to that. There has to be some spark, some flame, some desire that says, I'm going to do that. I'm going to sign on the line. I'm going all in. I'm going to draw the line. I'm not going back. I'm going forward from this day forward, come hell or high water. That's the gospel. That's believing. I think with that drug dealer, I would have immediately asked him, what does that mean to you, that whoever believes in him? Yeah. So define that. You know, If you're going to throw that verse out and think that you're saved by it, explain yeah. it. And then because he won't be able to explain it effectively, because you're asking, what do you believe? It matters what you believe. If you're going to believe in him, what does believe in him mean? What are you believing about him? What is it? And then you can easily point out to him that he actually doesn't know and hasn't believed and then that verse you know you're yeah. not going to be saved because you haven't believed in him so let me explain to you what believing yeah. is and well and again but what that is 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 taking the time to say this is what the gospel really is this is what you believed it is, and I'm because I love you, because I care about you, I'm not just going to let you believe that you're saved because you quote this scripture. But it's, it's, it's taking the time and, and having the courage or the authenticity or whatever you want to call it to say, you know what, you got it wrong there. And I remember when I was growing up in high school, I had this friend, and we were partiers. We were big-time partiers. We were doing everything, and... and we were just, just, yeah, doing the whole thing and stuff. And, and it's like, but he would go to church on Sunday. He would, he would go to the good Baptist church and stuff. And I'd be telling him, you know what, dude, if we were going to die right now, we would go to hell. And he was like, no, because the Bible says whosoever believes in him will not perish. And that's the thing is we have, we have given people this false Jesus. We're just, we've told people that all you got to do is say this prayer. All you got to be able to do is mimic these scriptures. All you got to be able to do is, is put on the Christian facade, put on a suit and a tie, go to church on Sunday and stuff, and you're good. You can party all week. You can live how you want to live. You don't have to think about God at all. You don't have to do anything that draws you nearer to him. Uh, you know, you say you love him because he first loved you, but, but what are you, you know, how are you showing it? How is it playing out in your life? And there are some people that you cannot convince. And we, I mean, we used to have conversations and I mean, there is no way he was going to believe that. In verse eight, as a matter of fact, people, religious people will get offended when you tell them. And it's, it happened from the, it's actually been going out in the Old Testament, the New Testament, even now. You tell someone that's religious the things that they don't want to hear, it offends them to the core. And those are the people that crucified Jesus. Those are the people that um, killed Paul. Those are the people that killed all the martyrs. Because they're like, I'm good with God. How dare you come in with my false security and my false peace and try to tell me that I'm not. 
In verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in a, that. Again, that believing is a saving belief. That believing is a transforming belief that doesn't leave you the same way. It says he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and men it wasn't, again, that men were just these sad, poor, broken creatures that men were, can't, you know, get along and they just need love and they just need acceptance and they need hope and they, need, they do need all this. But this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. Why? Because they did not want to give up their deeds. And that's the thing. Sometimes you can tell people... It's like we've had people over here that were so broken and they're like, I don't want to keep living the way I'm living. But the next thing you know, they're back in it, right? And the thing is, is that's the way it is with people is there's a part of them. Sometimes people are broken. Sometimes there's, they're going through, you know, part of their lives are hell. Like that's the way my life was before I got saved. I was going through hell and I wanted Jesus, but I wanted Jesus and my sin. Yeah. I wanted both of them, and I wasn't willing to give up my sins, but it's like, Lord, you need to save me. You need to, you need to come help me. You need to come bless me. You need to come deliver me and stuff like that, and God's like, I'm not having any part of it, and it wasn't until I came to the point to where I'm saying, Lord, I'm willing to give it all up. I'm willing to lay it all down. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. At that moment, that's when Jesus came and said, I forgive you. I remember having to ask God, like, to take specific desires away because I, because I was still having the, you know, and I'd be like, okay, Lord, I know that this isn't biblical, like, so I need you to make this make me sick. Like, I need yeah. you to take this desire away from me. And the thing is, is I've had stuff like that <laughs> since I've been a believer, too, you know. But the thing is, is, I mean, from that moment, my life was turned around. I'm not saying, and obviously, you, you, we're not perfect. You know, we come to the Lord, he's like, man, you guys are a mess. I got a lot of work to do. But he does. He begins, and we saw, we've seen it, uh, you know, hundreds of times in Matthew 28. God doesn't call converts. <clears throat> Jesus didn't come to get converts. Jesus came to get disciples. Mm -hmm. A disciple is someone that sold it all. A disciple is someone that said, you know what, I'm going to sign on the line, I'm going to do whatever it takes, I'll buy the whole package, I want it all. That's what a disciple is. A convert is someone who just prays the prayer and says, Lord, just get me out of hell. You know, I'm not going to change, I'm not going to do anything different, just get me out of hell, okay? Can we be buddies? Can we be okay? And, and stuff like that. And God will have no part of it. Um, verse, let's see. Verse 20 again, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Look at this in verse uh, 36. In verse 36 it says, he who believes in the Son has, excuse me, has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, versions on that second word, it says, a lot of versions say, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he do, who does not believe the Son will not see life. But that word right there, that second word believe, is, means to obey. And so again, the thing is, is 
if we are if we say we believe there will be there will be obedience if i believe my father is righteous if i believe my father when he says i will take this belt to you if you do wrong then i will obey him right and that's the thing obedient again belief brings obedience turn to luke chapter 14 I'm just going to kind of reiterate a bunch of scriptures. See, again, Jesus didn't just take everybody. Um, again, you know, think about the rich young ruler. When the rich young ruler says, good master, what do I have to do um, to be saved, essentially? In 99% of churches, they'd say, well, all you got to do is pray this prayer with me. You have to tithe. Make sure you come to church on Sunday mornings and you're good. Jesus didn't stop there with him. Jesus didn't say, you know what? You're good. He said, you know, well, you got to keep the commandments. You got to, you know, do all this stuff. And he's like, I've done all that. And Jesus looks into his heart. Now, we all have our issues, but his issue was, was greed. And Jesus looked at his heart and he says, one thing you still have, go and sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. And it said, that man went away sad because he was not willing to do that. And so again, we, we here in modern Christianity, if someone was to come up to me or come up to us and say, what do I got to do, do to be saved? We wouldn't put any kind of restrictions on them. We wouldn't say, you know, you got to you got to repent. You got to turn from your wicked ways. You got to see, you got to let the Lord come into your heart and change you. A lot of us will say, just, you know, join our church. With Jesus, though, I mean, he had standards. In Luke 14, verse 16, it's Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. It says, He said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people you're sharing the gospel to and you're, you're telling them what God requires and they're like, well, you know, I, I, I mean, I'll follow God, but first I have to do, I have to do this. I have to, you know, I want to live for a few years and, and practice my sins and stuff. And people have excuses for why they don't want to follow God. Or I would follow God, but, you know, my dad's not going to like it. Or I would follow God, but, you know, the people, my friends aren't going to like me and stuff. And so these people begin to make excuses. In verse 18, says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I've married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. Now all these sound like good reasons, right? And everybody has good reasons. Everybody has good reasons why, well, you know, I want to be a Christian, but you know... Uh, there's just these things that are holding me back. And in verse 21, And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slaves, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. Look at this in verse 24. He says, For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. 
Continuing in verse 25, he says, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned, to sit, and, turned and said to him. Now again, in our churches, if we got large crowds, a lot of, and again, a lot of churches will not preach any kind of message other than Jesus loves you because they don't want to rock the boat, right? They got these machines that they're building. They're, made, they're, they're bringing in lots of, and I'm not saying that this is with every church, but a lot of churches, they've got a machine that has to be oiled, it takes money, it takes people, it takes, uh, it takes a lot of uh, manpower to keep these machines going. And so they don't want to rock the boat. And that's, I mean, that's what happens in a lot of churches. It says, if anyone, in verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And again, this is going on right now. There are people that are leaving um, um, Hinduism. There are people, I, I heard of something about a week or two ago where, where um, a son got con converted to Christianity and his older brother killed him. And so people right now are having to make the choice, the decision, am I going to choose Jesus or am I going to choose my family? And Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be disciple. And again, remember Job's wife, right? Here Joseph, or Job is, is, is facing all these hard things and his wife, instead of supporting him and saying, you know, just keep following God, just keep loving him and stuff. She says, curse God and die. So there are choices that sometimes people have to make. Am I going to follow these people, my friends? My wife, or am I going to follow the Lord? Verse 27, again, Jesus is not saying you can just do whatever you want to do. You're going to be fine. Just tell people you're my, my believer, you're my disciple. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot. You see that word? He says he cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say that, you know, it's going to be really hard if you try to live for the world, try to do the things of the world, don't want to carry your cross. It's going to be really tough for you. He says, you cannot be my disciple. He says, for which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So again, Jesus, Jesus says, look, if you're going to be my disciple, you need to count the cost. And when I, whenever I'm talking to people and, and they're like hungry about the Lord and they, they seem excited and stuff, I tell them, look, this is the cost. The Bible says anyone who believes in me will go through tribulation. And if we're truly, if, you're, if you belong to Satan, if you belong to the world and the things of the world, you will have no problems as far as that kind of stuff goes. I mean, everybody has problems. Everybody has things that we deal with. But you become a Christian, and immediately things hit your life. And we've seen it. We've seen people come into this house, accept the Lord, and immediately stuff hits their lives, and, and where are they now? And that's the thing. And, and that's a problem, I too. I think with the churches, a lot of times, again, we're preaching this gospel. Come to Jesus. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be good. He's going to bless you. He's going to give you this great family and all this. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, storms are going to come against your house. 
And the Bible says in Isaiah 48 that he who turns aside from unrighteousness makes himself a prey. And the, pro the thing is, is when we are living in the world, we belong to the dominion of Satan. We belong to the king of this world. And when we come to Jesus and when we're living for him, he doesn't care. But anytime somebody turns to the Lord, then you become an enemy because what happens is you become a part of the army. And the thing is, is Satan doesn't necessarily even want to kill your um, quote unquote walk with God or your relationship with Jesus. He wants to kill your effectiveness, which in, in essence is the same thing. Because the thing that God is looking for is an army. When Jesus Christ calls us, he calls us to be a part of his army. That is the purpose of Christianity in this earth. Again, we are an army conquering the powers of darkness, conquering the gates of hell. You know the whole thing about the, the gates of hell will not overcome. You know what the gates were? The gates were where the, the princes and the governing authorities used to sit and make judgments for the people. So when he talks about the gates of hell, he's not talking about a castle. He's talking about the authorities, the powers, the demonic spiritual forces and wickedness in high places. Those are the things that we're coming against. And whenever we enlist and we sign up in the army and we put on a backpack and we grab an M16 and we start going against the powers of darkness, then you will experience some things, I promise you. But on the other hand, you can, you can live a boring, dead life in sin, right? And I mean, it's exciting when you go out and you pray for people and you see people set free. It's, it's awesome when you see people healed. It's awesome when you see people delivered. It's awesome when you see the kingdom of God come into people's lives and the lights come on and you see the transformation and you see broken lives healed and you see people that were dead raised up into life. That's what it's all about. And that's better than any drug. That's better than the things of the world. That's better than all the things that the world tries to sell you. And that's the thing. That's the things of the world. The things of the world, the Satan, the things that he sells you are drugs, which what? They make you a junkie. He sells you alcohol, which gives you hangovers. He sells you lust, which, which causes divorce and broken families. Everything that the enemy gives has strings attached to it. Everything. The things that God gives has nothing attached to it but blessing in this life and when we stand before him. And the thing is, again, there are martyrs. We, if, you don't, if you've never read about martyrs, get some books on martyrs. We've read so many stories about martyrs and people laying down their lives who in the midst of being tortured, in the midst of being tormented, they were worshiping the Lord and they were just praising him out of that. So we have a God that's not only there, that's, that's there with us in the storm, that he's there, he's praying with us, he's there with us in every step of the way, and he's urging us on. And not only that, but the Bible says we've got a cloud of witnesses. All the believers that have gone before us are there, and they're urging us, and they're strengthening us, and they're standing behind us. And the world, man, the thing about the world is you fall on your face in the world, and what do they do? They mock you, Right? You fall on your face in front of the world and it's like all your friends are suddenly against you. When I used to do drugs and I used to do the things of the world, as soon as I stopped buying the drugs, I lost my friends. As soon as I stopped buying the alcohol, I didn't have anyone to party with anymore. And stuff. And these are the people that are like, oh, we'll be with, we'll be with you through everything. All right? 
Turn to Luke chapter 6. Or Luke 17, actually. Wait. Sorry. Luke 6. Sorry. <laughs> and the thing is, is for God to be a just God, for God to be holy, God has to punish sin. God has to punish sin. Because He created the world perfect. And just like in the Old Testament, He says, I want you to go out he told the people of Israel that I want you to conquer the Amalekites, the Philistines, all these things, because if you do not conquer them, their disease of sickness and sin will spread into you. Sin is like a cancer. And there's in this world, there's either the, the gospel, the power of Christ, the kingdom of God, or there's the Satan and the kingdom of Satan. There is no other way. There is nothing else in this world. And either we are taking ground where we go or we are giving up ground to the enemy. And in Luke chapter 6, verse 43, it says, Look what Jesus is saying. He says, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. Now again, what is the first thing that, that unbelievers say about the church? It's just a bunch of hypocrites, right? Because we have a church that's filled with bad fruit. We have a church of people who have not been transformed, who have not been changed. And again, we're not perfect. We're being transformed daily. And that's the whole thing, is that we are going from glory to glory. We are being transformed. But, again, I, I know when I got saved, there was a massive change. And the people that knew me before, they didn't know me anymore because I was different. And because, I mean, it was, it, it was something undeniable. It's something that they, you know, that it, it's not you trying to be something. It's you are different. You are a new creature. You are something different. And when that happens, there will be change around in everything that's around you. It will affect everything that's around you. It's like the leaven. Jesus said a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. Now that can be a bad leaven or it can be a, a good leaven, right? Because leaven is just yeast. It can be a bad thing when it's used as an example of sin, but it's also a good thing when, it, when, it, when you use it in bread and the bread rises and things. But there will be, if there is... Whatever is in you is going to affect what, what's around you. In verse uh, 43, he says, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a, from a briar brush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure builds what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which, is, which fills his heart. Look at this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock, and when a flood occurred, the, tor the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and, not, and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation, and the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. And so, again, uh, 
and you know, and the thing is, is whenever we share, whenever we witness with people and stuff, the Holy Spirit leads us, right? And we need to be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying to people. Again, some people, they need grace and mercy. They need, um, they need to know that God does love them, even despite their sins. Because God does. We know that God loves those people, right? But again, it's His desire not to, it's His desire to deliver them from their sins. And that's what He wants to do. That's what God wants to do in the earth. He wants to set people from sin because sin brings a curse. Sin is a curse. And so whenever we share the gospel with people, and again, it's great. People, Christian groups that want to go out and give water to people or, or minister to people, we help people with their houses and stuff. That's awesome. There's, no, there's nothing against any of that. But I'm just saying that we need to have an understanding of what the gospel is and to know what the whole gospel is because I think that the whole church has been tainted and, and given this message that Jesus is just love and just wants to love on you and give you these sloppy kisses and, you know, and he does. But at the same time, he wants us to lay down every hindrance, every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us so that we're able to run the race with endurance. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is not just Jesus loves you. The gospel is Jesus loves you enough to set you free. Jesus loves you and he will deliver you from your sins. And, um, and that's the gospel. So, that's all. Good stuff. What I yes. got out of it. <laughs> What'd you get? There was one guy that I was talking to.